Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather. Uh, this is our special WrestleMania episode. Yeah, to get us back yeah. in. We've missed, we've missed a couple. We've had a couple. lot of life stuff getting in the way. Which I'll probably go into in the next episode. It's fucking horrible, but I'm not yeah. really ready yet in case yeah. in case it doesn't go well. <laughs> so this, is, this episode is going to be all about our actual great love, which is professional wrestling. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just... You're uh, great love. Dis- I don't like professional wrestling. I like pro wrestling. Um, so yeah, if you're if you were tuning in expecting uh, expecting politics, you might get some, but this is mostly going to be about wrestling. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. some, yeah. It's going to be quite a lot. Um, Vincent Man, well, his wife is in the government. <laughs> yeah, good point. He Actually, did get Donald Trump elected. Yeah, true, true. Um, he has the wealth of a small <laughs> South American nation <laughs> from fake fighting. <laughs> yes. So you know. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, yeah. We wanted to fo- we wanted to do an episode on one of our favorite 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 wrestling well, people. Well, one of the most fascinating wrestling uh, individuals. In what is now referred to me as my dark time, mm-hmm. um, my wife refers to it as the good times. Well, I wasn't watching wrestling. Um, <laughs> the main thing that I still was keeping up with was mm. stories behind wrestling because the stories behind wrestling are so good. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of really good films about it, like um, Beyond the Mat. Beyond the Mat. Uh, the wrestlers actually pretty good at dramatizing like the yeah the, what wrestlers went through from when we started watching, which would have been in the eighties, the same as everyone mm. else, mm. and through the Attitude Era when it was at its most popular, mm. um, and the horrifying physical and mental and straight mortality toll that wrestling has on people. Mm. And the story of Perry Saturn's actual life is way better than any wrestling gimmick he ever had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the ones that you always keep up with and whose life is incredibly interesting mm-hmm. is the only... He's probably the only meritocratic billionaire I can think of. Hmm. He didn't he- make his money from being part of the government and then, you know, the wall falls in Russia and then suddenly he owns an oil field. <laughs> the man lived in a trailer. Yeah. I mean, we are talking about, of course, wrestling promoter, billionaire, bodybuilding fanatic, actual cartoon man, yeah. and uh, psychologist's wet dream, <laughs> Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Yes. Um, so, a little background on him. Uh, he was born in August 24th, 1945. He's now the owner of the biggest wrestling company in the world. He's probably the most successful wrestling promoter That's there's ever been. been. Yep. Certainly the richest. Short of a uh, Roman emperor. Yeah. He's he's um, yeah. <laughs> he's insanely wealthy, f- mainly just from wrestling, yeah. which is, is not something you can really say about a lot of uh, like sports billionaires even. They usually get rich and then buy a, like a sports team or, or an yeah. like American football team or a football team. Football team, you know that kind mm. of thing. Um, so he started off. He was uh, he was born in a, a trailer. His father, uh, Vincent McMahon Senior, was a wrestling promoter, descended from a line of boxing promoters. Interesting fact I read about today. So, sorry, he comes from like a proper Carney family, didn't he? Um, kind of. But- it then they are they're promoters. They are box like sports promoters. Um, Sorry, one sec. Let me just cycle down to this massive story. I was reading up on him today, and there's this really fascinating story. Um, so, 1908, uh, Jack Johnson, man named Jack Johnson, became the first black world heavyweight champion in boxing. The predominantly white and conservative kind of sporting establishment around that time um, had a massive tantrum about the fact that there was a black man hmm. who... Um, uh, held their best, their top title. Had a belt that literally said he was harder than all the white men. Yeah, uh, he, he, um, his boxing reign was the uh, origin of the phrase "the Great White Hope." Yeah, because they kept putting white men up, including like white boxers who like who refused to fight like um, African American, other African American boxers. They would just refuse to do it. There was this huge search for a man, a white man who could beat this amazing like amazing physical specimen like that was in the days when boxing went on for like 16 days yeah and people like died in the ring i like that um that bare knuckle boxer who's buried at highgate who like yeah. in his last fight both his arms were dislocated by the end it was like a two-day yeah they tell <laughs> they tell you the story if you take the tour around highgate cemetery yeah um if you're gonna go for the marks plus tour yeah um 
yeah, they take you around the thing. It's like a two-day boxing match in which both of them couldn't see and had no arms left by the end. <laughs> so good. Um, Victorian boxing is f- boss, <laughs> mate. <laughs> uh, so this guy would hang on to the uh, the world title. Uh, Jack Johnson would hold on to the world title until 1915 when a boxer called Jess Willard would defeat him for the title in Havana, Cuba. Mm-hmm. The bout promoted by a one man named Roderick James McMahon, who was Vince McMahon's... Uh, grandfather. Ah. So he gets started. He gets the family started as like boxing, mainly boxing promoters. Uh, Vince McMahon Senior, um, after the war, sees the kind of crowds that you can pull in for professional wrestling. Yeah. Um, and starts a promotion called Capital. Uh, starts a company called Capital Wrestling Corporation. Um, he has a couple of kids by his first wife, who he then leaves um, and gets married again. Um, I think here Vince McMahon's junior's mother um, raised him in a trailer. Um, he had quite a lot of run-ins with like stepfathers and things like that. He um, went to military school. Yeah, he? eventually his father gets back in contact with him and uh, pays for him to go to military school because he looked like he was going to end up in prison. Hmm. Um, he goes to military school. Um, he was, I think, I can't remember the name of the military school. I haven't got it in my notes, but uh, he was one of the first people caught to be court-martialed. <laughs> <laughs> because he put laxatives in his commanding officer's hamburger the to get back at him. that he literally still has today. Yep, yep. Oh um, he eventually graduated and started working for his father for yep. Capital Wrestling uh, Corporation. Um, he was assigned a small territory in Maine. Um, to he really wanted to get into wrestling. He tried being he like to a, be a wrestler. Didn't he he wanted to be a, a wrestler originally, um, and. His dad really didn't want him to. He said, get a government job, you'll get a pension. Mm. He really, really wanted to promote wrestling, be a wrestler and promote wrestling. So his dad gave him a small territory in Maine, which he turned into like a very profitable area for his dad's empire. Um, he arranged the um, Muhammad Ali-Antonio Inoki fight oh, in 1976. That was Junior's idea. The one where Muhammad Ali changed so many rules that by the end, Inoki wasn't allowed to kick unless he was lying down, so Inoki just lay on his back and kicked the shit out of Muhammad Ali's knees. <laughs> yeah. And took years off his knees' life. Eventually, he um, became that successful that he uh, bought the company from his father in he a deal. out from under him, didn't he? Um, it, it, he didn't want him to buy the company out, but he did acquiesce with the proviso that... Uh, the payment plan that he set up, mm. if um, him and his wife missed a single payment plan, it would go back to him and his partners, who at that time were like um, like Gorilla Monsoon mm. and uh, Arnold Scarland. Um, Vince McMahon Sr. then, I think, died a couple of months later from cancer. Um, <laughs> cancer? Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> there, is, there are deaths around Vince McMahon. <laughs> so, like... Uh, Vince McMahon's big contribution to wrestling, yeah. in the early part of his career anyway, was wrestling used to be, uh, in America, used to be a territory system. Yeah. You had individual kingpins in charge of wrestling in a particular area, so centred around like Cleveland or Oregon or New York. Mm. There were particular people, and they were all kind of um, aligned in like a, uh, the NWA, the National Wrestling Association, mm. or Alliance. Alliance. There are actually two. Mm. There are both, but I think it was the Alliance. Um it's essentially a cartel. It was essentially yes. a mafia cartel. And they wouldn't poach each other's wrestlers. Yeah, they would not perform shows in other people's territories. They would not poach each other's wrestlers. Um, and on the flip socialist side, they would also use it to repress wrestlers' wages, yep. uh, control their movements, and generally stop them from organising. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, Vince came in and kind of broke all this up. He started doing expressly what the NWA was founded not to do. Mm. So he would pay a shitload for uh, to poach uh, other people's wrestlers. He would, um, at the time, there was a system whereby if they had a TV, if they were, wanted to be on TV, they would drive their tapes down to the station. The station would oh, have... because them. before international, before nationwide TV in America. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. know, you're um, only your local TV channels. Yeah, most of them operated on, on local TV ones. And um, you would drive the tapes down there and the t- local TV people mostly wouldn't even pay, like, they wouldn't charge to air them or anything mm. like that. They would put it on and make money out of the advertising. Um, Vince started doing things very differently. He used to drive around, apparently, like personally, mm. with a load of his WWF tapes mm. in the back of his car, go around. WWF. Um, no, it was WWF oh, by that by point. Then. He had changed it by, I think it was just before his dad died, he, he managed to convince oh. him to change it to WWF, which, to be fair, 
that's a good thing to do yes. because WWWF is too many. Virtually impossible. So he's driving around in a, in a, I imagine, a dirty white panel van full of tapes. Pretty much. He's driving around in a car full of tapes, um, paying local TV uh, stations. Of them. Well, they had a deal, because remember, this is all on patronage. This is a very mm. old-style form yeah, of capitalism. It's, it's based on who you know and backhanders and all that kind of thing. And he would pay, go in and pay to um, replace the local wrestling promotions yeah. tapes with his own. Um, which was really weird because people would see one week they would have like I don't know Georgia Championship Wrestling mm. and then the next week they've just got WWF yeah <laughs> yeah um, his other big kind of contribution is he's the man who is considered to have taken wrestling kind of national mm. like uh, an individual company national it's like a it's a bit of myth making because there were actually a couple of other promotions that did have like um, national television mm. on so um, it is actually his dad had um, like rights through because he put on shows at Madison Square Garden in New York all the time. Mm. Um, they had like some kind of deal with what HBO was then mm. to show their stuff um, nationwide. Um, there was another company called uh, it was Georgia Championship Wrestling that had um, something called a, like Turner Superstation, mm. which uh, broadcast na- uh, nationally. Um, Vince bought them out mm. um, specifically just so he could get their time slot. <laughs> um, but his wrestling, the wrestling product at that time, because yeah. like Southern wrestling is a much more like athletic, uh, like honourable competition. That's the way that they kind of set it up. Yeah. Um, WWF was all like big dudes, squash matches, that kind of thing. Yeah, it was um, just, this is the biggest guy you've ever seen yeah. watching beat up this small man. Or watching beat up this really fat man. Yeah. Oh, that's, because that's yeah. even more impressive. Yeah, there was um, yeah, this, yeah, it's the Hulk Hogan figure, isn't it? That's yeah. Towards the end of his career in WWF it was progressive fighting progressively fatter men yeah not even like actually then into WCW they were fighting fatter men oh yeah they eventually just before he turned heel they found the fattest man uh, the man who was Giant Haystacks who in in WCW was called Loch Ness who at that point was about 600 pounds he was like dying of cancer Um, yeah he had uh, he had lymphoma at the time as well there's a there's a fucking amazing bit. So when they're introducing Loch Ness, this massive six foot ten gigantic man, the size of three men. Yeah. Um, and like Hogan's in in the middle of this cage having just won a match, and then Loch Ness comes out and he's like, "Oh, I'm going to challenge you." Mm. And um, all Loch Ness's mates are out there, and he's uh like the Dungeon of Doom, uh, as was the stable at the time, and um. They're like he's like trying to get he's gonna get through the cage door, which is just like a very small door for about like most of the wrestlers had to duck to get into it. Yeah. And they're holding him back and it's like, you are never getting he's in never that door, mate. That door. You physically could not get in the ring. You are too large. <laughs> Amazing. Um so Vince buys out this Georgia Championship wrestling solely to get this nationwide two hour slot. Hmm. Um Turner, uh, they get he puts on their first week of programming. They get like a thousand complaints hmm. about the fact that the wrestling shit. Yeah, it's not the it's not not only is it the wrestling they're not they're used to, hmm. um, it's shit. It's hmm. terrible. Hmm. And uh, Turner give uh, get another Southern wrestling company in, give them another time slot, hmm. which Vince um, hates hmm. and tries to. I think he tries to sue Turner. Because they wouldn't, um, that he's it's like, oh, I've got, exclu- like the start I've got exclusivity. Yeah, I've got exclusivity. Hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and Turner says, no, we're going to keep this other this other wrestling company on, and they just wait out the contract until Vince goes, to, Vince's WWF goes to another station, hmm. which is where that kind of um, uh, rivalry begins between Ted Turner and Vince McMahon, because Vince McMahon apparently thinks he's on an equal footing with a multi-multi-billionaire. Like, Ted, yeah. if you're going to rate billionaires, and yeah. I do, a lot, <laughs> because we're going to need to know. <laughs> Just asking questions. Um, like, Ted Turner is like A++ billionaire, isn't he? Yeah. He's like right there at the top. He's got like celebrity wives, and people do things about his house. Yeah, <laughs> whereas a man, especially at, like, at that point, mm. he's just a guy in a terrible suit. He's barely a millionaire. I think he's living off the Never Never on most of his um, purchases. He's spending yeah. all this money. It's he's hoping that he's going to be able to pay it back at some point. Which, of course, you know, fair play to him. He did. Yeah, he did make money. Yeah. So that's um, like when's that? That's like in the seventies. So that's up to about the mid 
mid to late 80s. Is it? I think, yeah. Is that yeah. like WrestleMania's been happening? Uh, yeah, WrestleMania's happening, but it's a lot more disparate because they mm. don't have a single, they don't have a weekly program no. that all of their storylines are revolving around. Mm. All you have is, well, we're going to be in Texas taping this, yeah. then we're going to do a pay-per-view. They're which um, a travelling show. Yeah, which was a reasonably new invention because it was like closed-circuit TV mm. so people can see it um, in cinemas and things like that. It's, when, when is it? Is, when is it? When he was in Puerto Rico, which for people who don't like wrestling, mm. especially back then, wrestling in Puerto Rico, very dodgy. Yeah, it was and it was a surprisingly big deal, wasn't it? Yeah, I it think was a, maybe Puerto because you could get big, away with more. Puerto Rico's a big wrestling place. Yeah, um, but yeah, where, where he covers up a murder, mm. it was actually still being sorted out now. So that was um, that was no, that was no. I think you're are you confusing two different events there? Puerto Rico is Bruiser Brody, whereas... You're right. Actually, um, I am getting mixed up. Bruiser Brody yeah. was stabbed in Puerto Rico, whereas um, the one that I'm thinking about is him covering up Jimmy Snooker, is, allegedly beating his wife to death in a hotel room in Florida. Yeah, Jimmy Snooker, who was a quite a famous wrestler in the early 80s, yeah. um, regularly violent towards women, he was dating. So he beat up a girlfriend he was seeing, and uh, from what the police reports say, her head came off a... Uh, one of the kitchen counters where he was beating her. He got taken to prison because she died. Uh, he got taken to the police station. Vince is down there saying, um, "Oh, he doesn't understand anything you're saying because he's, a, he's an ignorant. Savage. He's an ignorant savage, and like he's from Fiji. <laughs> he still knows what like not killing somebody is." <laughs> And he got he got off. Like Jimmy yeah. Snooker was released. There was a very extended investigation that only actually came to light. Like he only actually got rearrested for that offence about a month before he died. Jimmy yeah. Snooker died yeah. last year, year before. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, that gives you like that's kind of gives you a bit of an insight into Vince McMahon. He's like, I wouldn't say he's necessarily rags to riches because let's face it, like he is the boss's son. Yeah. He but literally, his, it's like reading one of those Guardian articles where people talk about buying a house but they, and you're waiting for the line where they said, so anyway, I got a small inheritance or so I anyway, I lived, with my, I lived with my parents until I was 35. Yeah. You're waiting for that line. And I think he does have one of those lines. He has, my dad owned one of the major territories. He owned the territory around New York, yeah. which is obviously massively lucrative. Mm. Mm. And yeah, he didn't know his dad. He, had a, he had, did have a hard upbringing. Yeah, uh, definitely. He didn't oh, yeah, meet his dad until he was like fourteen. Yeah, there's um, because the man's had he's done free interviews in magazines that he doesn't personally own. Yeah, yeah. Um, and well, there was the first one was Playboy. Yeah, the second one was Cigar Aficionado. Yeah, and then for his seventieth birthday, it was in Muscle and Fitness. Yeah, <laughs> which tells you all you need to know about the man. But I'm pretty sure, like the Playboy interview, I've read that. Um. Where he, he he talks around it, but it seems like he was sexually abused. Um, he talks. He about was how definitely he was, physically abused when um, he was younger. He um, that about, seems to be talks about how his um, certain, he's yeah. sad that his stepfather died because he really would have liked to have killed him. Mm. There's lots of, huh? Yeah, because like he is a he's definitely got that myth making thing about oh, yeah. himself, of course, because especially now because he's a he's a 73 year old man. Mm. Um, he's for all of the, he has a kind of bravado about, oh, I'm always looking forward. I'm always like aggressively looking forward to the next opportunity. But I don't think he could probably help looking back and seeing his legacy and myth making. Mm. But I definitely think he, there was a lot of stuff that he went through hmm. that was uh, was very hard. I wouldn't like I say, calling it calling him a self made man is probably more accurate. But yeah. saying rags to riches, I wouldn't I would say necessarily yeah. say that's entirely the truth. Do you as know far what I mean? as billionaires go he did take something that yeah, wasn't worth absolutely. that much yeah sure and he did literally he took like he took wrestling which was making a lot of money altogether yeah made wrestling make less money altogether but all of it went to him yes yeah and that's what he did which is very much a kind of um 1970s neoliberal approach to <laughs> everything he's like he took on board all of that stuff he's like he yeah he's a an uh, tech disruptor, but yeah. for shaved, greased-up men <laughs> wrestling in a darkened room full of smoke. Yeah, in in many ways, he's like the perfect twentieth-century example of the America of the archetype of an American businessman. Mm. 
except for the fact that he's in shape and has a thing about his own physical kind of appearance. I think of um, like American businessmen, frankly, like Donald Trump. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like they, would... they don't give a really give a shit about like he 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 does give a shit about his physical appearance, but, but he clearly not... doesn't care what other people think about yeah. it. It's just like I'm going to do all the things that a rich man does. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, Vince wears like terrible suits. Apparently inspired by his father, who used to wear yeah. very loud suits to like make a make a a dominant presence. Yeah, and he inexplicably wears terrible clothes oh, yeah. on TV. He could afford significantly like, better. Awful. Suits. He's got well, John Cena does the same thing. Yes, but, um, yeah. He does that. He's got so many of those weird little things to like draw all the attention onto him. Like there's that stupid way he. Oh, that's amazing, though. Yeah, um, but yeah, those suits, the hair, the pompadour. Yeah, oh, it's a little is... less lustrous since he got shaved off, though. Yeah. In a, when he was, you know, you remember when he had that match with the future president of the United States? <laughs> Which one? The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Who did you see had a sit-down with? Um... Mohammed bin Salman. I did see that, yes. Oh, told you all these pieces of shit. Um... It's almost as if there's a kind of privileged class who have different kind of aims and objectives for their lives and for the lives of others around them uh, <laughs> that are entirely separate from the objectives and concerns of most people. <laughs> Crazy. I was not that surprised that The Rock met with <laughs> Mohammed bin Salman. Of course he did. Yeah. Talk about film funding. <laughs> and apps. <laughs> but, um, Divorce loss. <laughs> He's, um... Childcare payments. <laughs> He's got these divorced, doesn't he? I think he is. He is. Although, as Kevin Nash says, you never see him with a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love Kevin Nash. No. He's such a massive bitch. He is. He really is. You see his shoot interviews. He's so, He's a card. He's a, he's a terrible wrestler and did horrific damage to the only thing that could have stopped our boy Vince. <laughs> um, but, god damn, if that man cannot like hold an audience... <laughs> Sitting there, seven foot tall. Like, he sits through one of them just shoveling pasta into his mouth. And most of the time, he's, like, cradling a red wine glass. Like, very, um, very delicately, a red wine glass, because he loves wine. Oh, he's just terrible. I really... I, don't, I dislike a lot of... I like Kevin Nash. But, um, yeah, there's that thing... The thing is that with um, Vince, that Vince has, it's the same thing, like, we've talked about it before. With, like, my, my thing with bodybuilders and wrestlers yeah. and Vince has it as well um, where I can understand their right wing views yeah. and their belief in like when they do lean towards libertarianism quite yeah. heavily because like bodybuilding especially is very much I did this it's a Look, solo I lonely sport yeah, yeah. Um, so you can kind of see how like then they have the well why can't you mm. attitude and Vince very much has that. Like, I did this. I did all of this myself. Yeah. I did it through which, force of will, and I yeah. did it through force of my body. Look at it. Which is why you lead, you get end up now with some really weird business ideas. Like, we have things like the XFL, where I don't like the NFL. I'm going to have my own one with tits and blackjack. <laughs> um, and then that failed massively and cost him staggering amounts of money. Yeah. And then he gets annoyed at... Um, uh, black people taking a knee in the NFL and so it's like well I'll do it again do you not all own the libs me losing some more money <laughs> he was a bit more restrained when he tried to set it up this time mm. except for the point where he said um, we're going to take like we are non-political but we are going to insist that all of our players take a knee during the national anthem it's like so you've you are political then well yeah well of course he is because his wife's the secretary small, for small business small business secretary um, but yes he's got he's he's like he had when was the when they tried to set up a union in the WWF that yeah that the is so I mean where they wrestlers noted bit, conspiracy theorist Jesse Ventura and friend of the show Jesse Ventura <laughs> I wish yeah. although being Jesse Ventura is probably really hard to deal with after five minutes <laughs> um, when he's like complaining about the weather being controlled by the CIA <laughs> or he starts talking about some interesting thing June Tarponghi but emailed him but um, Jesse Ventura was a lot nicer back then. He's nice now. Come I on. I don't think he's as he's as um He's crazy. Yeah. But he's he's like he seems to have he's 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 found that perfect that for by American standards that acceptable uh niche which is weed legalization. <laughs> and I I, th I find young like weed legalizers like mostly insufferable. 
Well, he said why he's... With their political views and things like that. But Jesse Ventura, like, is an old man. He's suffering from cancer, I think. He's got some tumors. He he said he hasn't got long to live, and so he wants to just achieve one final thing, and that is complete weed legalisation. I've got a soft spot for for that kind of thing. It's the same way as, like, I've got a secret... Even though I find them ludicrous and their politics are ridiculous, I've got a soft spot for free men of the land. Yeah. Like, something about that wide-eyed, open faith in the law. And that... That, like with Jesse Ventura, that wide-eyed open faith that if you just put information in front of people, mm. then you can affect real change. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, so Jesse Ventura tried to set up a trade union mm. because wrestlers are treated like shit. If you've seen the wrestler, you, un- you can understand yeah. that. Um, they are not paid very well. Still now, they're really paid terribly. Yeah. Um, it is not uncommon for the ones in development to be living in their cars still. Yeah. Um, and he tried to set up a union, tried to unionise all the boys, yeah. and... Vince came down on that quite hard yes. with the help of... So apparently the story goes that um, Jesse was trying to kind of sound sound opinions about trying to set up a union. Hmm. Uh, obviously Hulk Hogan was in the dressing rooms and heard a lot of this and fucking ratted him out. Yeah. Fucking snitched. Yeah. Well, Grasped him up. Is it that surprising? <laughs> no, not at all. But still, you, you still kind of think, you know that you'd probably benefit from this as well. Never trust a white man with that hair who plays slap bass. Because <laughs> they're always going to have some really horrible views. It's it's a weird thing, because, yeah, the NWA was, uh, like I say, a vaguely, had the air of a criminal cartel, hmm. like a mafia almost. Apparently there were several mafia figures actually involved in it, but I don't know the details of that. There's always been a link um, between, like, organised crime. Well, it was much bigger, the link between organised crime and wrestling. Yeah. There's, like, lots of stuff about, um, what's his name? Um, ECW... Paul Heyman? No. Um, Tommy Dreamer. Hmm. Um, Tommy Dreamer, um, he's very much Italian-American from New York, and a lot of people just assumed that he was connected, and that's kind of why he got his first job. <laughs> he's literally talking about... Because um, they, they, um, his job, before he got started getting booked as a wrestler, he literally worked as a bin man. He's like, I'm in yeah. waste disposal. <laughs> waste management. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Karen. Um, yeah, NWA, the old-fashioned the, the old fashioned kind of cartel. Yeah. Um, yeah, strongly anti-union, controlled their wages, stifled, stifled competition. There were some promotions that didn't sign up, and the NWA would go to like lengths to shut them down, hmm. basically poach all their competition. Um, Vince comes in, and to hear him now, whenever he talks, he doesn't talk about it very often, but he does portray himself like the kind of Silicon Valley disruptor, mm. like breaking up monopolies for the benefit of the consumer. And now the situation in WWE is, it is a weirdly prescient, like a proto-Uber. Mm. Um, you know, it classifies all of its wrestlers as independent contractors. Mm. Um, they don't pay, they pay for their own travel. Mm. They pay for health insurance. Yep. Um, and they don't get any kind of retirement benefits, anything like that. Um, it controls all their media presences, their appearance, and the amount and where they work because they, oh, they're on the shed. They're on the schedule, yeah, and they turn up. Um, the wrestlers That's they it. will not be deciding when, like, because they're doing that big WrestleMania in Saudi Arabia, aren't they? Yeah, the greatest um, Royal Rumble ever. That's at the end it, of April, Royal yeah. Rumble. Um, they're doing a special Rumble. Yeah, um, and they won't be able to decide whether they're going there. Hmm. Like, there's a great, great TV interview, and I think it's in Qatar where he sent Vader and Undertaker there. Mm. And they make they have to do an interview on TV. And yeah. Vader, I have a very soft spot for Vader. Vader's a very big you man. You do, don't you? Yeah. He's a very big man. He's a very big, angry man. Yeah. Um, Bear his, of a man he is. Yeah, his main talent is hitting very hard. And not really wrestling. Oh no, I don't think that's true. No, no, true. he could do wrestling. But no, but um, he did I like mean, moon salts and no, and no, I mean like with the punches, they weren't really. Oh worth yeah, the he was very stiff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he'd very, very, like reg, like <coughs> I think one of the famous things of him in wrestling is like one of his first matches. Um, guy pulled his eye out. Oh and yeah, he that... pushes it back in and carries on fighting because he's just that kind of guy. Yeah. But anyway, so he's in Qatar sitting at the, sitting and being interviewed. I think it's like a breakfast TV. Mm. And the Undertaker is um, outside of wrestling. He's very much a biker, and he's just sitting there in leathers and a bandana and sunglasses <laughs> in Qatar. And he's like, "Oh, you're so hot." Um, and the interviewer brings up the fact that it's fake. Yeah. Yeah. And. Vader loses shit and just starts smashing stuff up and I think he gets kicked out of guitar. Yeah. Banned. 
Um, but yeah, they, he didn't want to go there. Yeah. And they, they'll send him there. Like, they'll send um, Sami Zayn to Saudi Arabia. Oh, yeah. And I bet yeah. you Sami Zayn does not want to go to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, it's like, there's very little control over what you can do. It's like, they're just coming to the end of... There's a couple of wrestlers at the moment who they won't release from their contract. Because even though they're from yeah, independent... Yeah, uh, Adrian Neville is a significant uh, one. I think Geordie. he's, he's not a Geordie wrestler. He's... He kind of uh, went home, which mm. is what that's the kind of euphemism they do. Is, oh, he went home. Yeah, because they're always on tour. Mm. Like every week you have um, a three hour program, which you, a TV program, which you might be booked for. Um, you then have three hours, a couple of hours. other. It works out to roughly five hours when you include the pre show and then the dark matches afterwards. Yeah. Sure. And you're not allowed to leave the entire time. Yeah, and they have to be there. So they're there for this entire TV <coughs> taping on either a Monday or a uh, Tuesday. Yeah. Um, Sometimes on Wednesday, I think it's NXT, mm. isn't it? Uh, although they're taped in batches, so it's different. Yeah. Um, and then you're on house shows, which he still does. That's a remnant of the old territory which system. Are untaped. Um, they're not taped. They're they're purely just live events to keep up their profile in all these different markets. Mm. Like he works them so hard. Oh, yeah. Good example is tomorrow. It's WrestleMania. Yeah. And the WrestleMania this year, including the pre-show, is nine hours long. Mm-hmm. The next day. They'll be having another show. Yeah, a live that will show. Be about five hours long. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, so it's no, it's no wonder that they they burn out. But like, mm. similar to kind of those, the new generation of personalized capitalists. Yeah. So you're thinking of your Steve Jobs, you know, um, those kind of uh, Peter Thiel, Elon, Peter Thiel Elon, Musk. Elon Musk. They are a new generation of personalized capitalists because, like, for a long time. Those companies of that size were being taken out of the hands of individual people. It was very yeah. common through the 20th, 19th and 20th century for a company to be identified with either its founder or the fa- a member of the family of its founder, yeah. right? That starts to ebb away in the 50s and 60s. All those family firms are kind of bought up by banks. When banks start, f- like to put it bluntly, start feeling their oats again, hmm. when they're allowed to invest and some of the rules put in after the Wall Street crash were loosened, they start coming in and investing in these companies and kicking them off and putting professional managers in place because they think, well, you've just sat here like a kind of new aristocracy hmm. because you're just handing this down to your family. And there is an ideological reason why they did it, but also a an efficiency reason. They felt that if they put professional managers in place, um, they would get better results because hmm. they wouldn't be so tied. They would make the difficult yeah. decisions. Yeah. By difficult decisions, I mean sacking as many of their employees as they needed to. But luckily, in people like Jeff Bezos, they found someone who will do whatever they want. Yeah. So you've got this new generation of personal... Like, the companies are identified. Like, Steve Jobs and Apple, completely hmm. synonymous. And even more than that, they bring a kind of, like, culture and work ethic. Yeah. Like, Steve Jobs, you think about the Apple aesthetic. It's simplistic. It's Zen. It's mm. Buddhist. And all of those working practices, like the, the, the things that get satirised in like um, Silicon Valley, the mm. TV show, um, they bring that kind of stamp to their companies. And Vince McMahon is one of the few who, throughout that period, while all of those other things were going mm. corporate um, and depersonalised, he stamped that kind of work ethic well, yeah, on um, every one of his wrestlers and on the company as a whole. I mean, it helps because he's literally writing a story yeah. to tell the story of a wrestling company. Well, but, he had to become you know, more visible because mm-hmm. for ages he was the commentator he that was his character yes he was he was, he was his character then there was the, the steroid trial where vincent mann admitted to the world that wrestling isn't real mm-hmm. um and you know people shook their heads as like but papa shango i was sure that papa shango <laughs> was a voodoo priest i saw him put a curse on ultimate warrior <laughs> exactly um <laughs> You telling me that black blood he vomited up wasn't real? Are you telling me all the warriors are on that much cocaine? <laughs> um, but yeah, so he had to come out and be like, "I own this." This is, you know, he was very much everyone was looking at him. It's and kind so of then he w- wrote himself into the storyline after that. Yeah, it's kind of a weird genius tactic because he. Uh, so a lot of his wrestlers, kind of prior to, I think it was in that nineteen eighty seven, nineteen eighty eight. Um, there are a shitload of jacked dudes because yeah. one key facet of. Vince McMahon's personality is he loves muscly dudes. Oh, yeah. Like, to an extent where it goes beyond an aesthetic preference Mm. and gets to something a bit deeper. Mm. You know? He is... He... There's a a fantastic story sometime in the middle of the... um, 
of the 80s, he tried to set up uh, his own bodybuilding federation. The World Bodybuilding Federation, yes. The World Bodybuilding Federation. He um, turned up to the uh, IBFF, which is like the main bodybuilding mm. federation. He thought, I can do here what I did to the old wrestling companies mm. um, and disrupt it. Mm. He um, signed up for their annual kind of expo, mm. their annual show, and uh, said, oh, I'm, I'm uh, promoting this magazine called Bodybuilding Monthly or mm. something. Um, can I have a stall at your expo? And mm. they said, yeah, fine, fine. Um, he turned up, had all these fake mock-ups for the magazine, mm. and then at the end started handing out pamphlets for his own rival bodybuilding <laughs> federation. Balls. The balls on that man. Yeah. Uh, the main thing I remember, because it only showed, he only did one episode of the World Bodybuilding Federation, didn't he? And uh, it's all on yeah, YouTube. Yeah. But it's like, I remember the commentary is like, I remember specifically one guy who came out in with a top hat in like in just his pants, yeah. with a top hat and a cane, and it's like, oh look, ready for a night on the town. <laughs> he thought he did the same thing because bodybuilding is like a fucking niche interest, very N- much like, so, very niche. And he thought he would do to it what he did to wrestling, so give them very cartoonish, comic, comicy characters yeah. that would appeal to a wider audience. So he had all these bodybuilders coming out as like, and here's the giant slayer, and here's the magician, <laughs> and he would make like bikini. Bikini clad like girls disappear. This gigantic oily man. <laughs> There's my. F- <laughs> if anything would make you feel more uncomfortable than a street magician in a hoodie, it's one in speedos covered in grease. <laughs> I already don't trust magicians, and now that's double. <laughs> All these sleight of hand tricks. Is like, where could he possibly be hiding it? <laughs> So uh, the best one there's a YouTube clip out there of the Gary Stridham That's him. who is a top professional bodybuilder I think he still is um, but he comes out and Vince is doing the commentary because he was doing commentary on wrestling and then he did it on the, the WBF and he's like Gary Stridham wow look at that striation oh, that's <laughs> this... and he's like coming in his fucking pants he is he... ridiculous he, yeah he is insane he loves loves muscly men he does. It's oh. there's a there's an amazing story. It's actually. that thing of like it, yeah. It just make I think it's that thing of if you're eating a meal with someone and they're enjoying it so much that everyone at the table feels uncomfortable. <laughs> That's Vince McMahon when he sees striation on a leg. <laughs> there's a, and like that kind of attitude that like I am going to be single mindedly focused on a particular thing mm. and I don't. I don't care how I look. Mm. Like, he tried to set up um, that famous thing from Beyond the Mat where um, the person's interviewing him and he goes, oh, we're not just a wrestling company. We make movies. Oh, yeah, because it's know? part of the whole ethic of WWE. They make films instead of... Yeah, not- he's he's got a weird relationship with wrestling itself because he, he's constantly trying these other ventures to kind of make him more respectable. Because yeah. let's face it, like... If you're still listening to this and you like turned up listening for politics rather than wrestling, yeah. you probably think this as well. But most people think wrestling fans are idiots. Yeah. Dirtbag idiots. That is always the reputation that it's had. Hmm. And no matter how many times I tell you, Mike, <laughs> that it's a that it's a, a legitimate, like weird performative thing that is unlike anything else, nobody believes that. I've, it's, sat, people, it's, I've sat people through like hour-long matches and saying, look, can't you understand the storytelling here? It's, um, you can't get people to 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 get on board with that. And no. he's constantly got this thing of, he, he, I think he genuinely does love wrestling of a certain kind. He yeah. thinks wrestling is a thing and he really likes that thing. But he sees people around him and he doesn't, he doesn't think they give him enough respect. He's got mm. this weird chip on his shoulder about like shoulder. Um, living around the rich, mm. despite the fact that he has been a billionaire for well, a billionaire for twenty years, and probably a multi-millionaire for ten years before that. Yeah, you know, he lives in um, like he's from he lives in Connecticut, doesn't yeah. he? He's from uh, North Virginia, I think, but mm. uh, or North Carolina, but he lives in Connecticut, like you know, top blue blood aristocracy of America, the old like white establishment. Yeah, very much kind of. It's um, yeah, he has got because you very much get the impression that he wanted to be in Trump's cabinet, but he wouldn't have been able to get past the specific checks. Oh, in no way, in and no way. That's that's with Trump's cabinet mm. that he wouldn't have gotten through them all. Considering Trump, he's he's he fits perfectly in many ways. 
um, other than his money, he's like one of those guys, like one of the richest guys in your town. Hmm. You know, like there's like the top lawyer, like the top divorce lawyer. Hmm. You know, he drives a slightly nicer car, but not a top of the range car. Hmm. And that's who Trump filled his cabinet with. It's like ambulance chasers and like I say, like divorce lawyers who've been divorced four times mm. and like people who are just waiting on their payout from that time when they, you know, went on board a fucking toy battleship, <laughs> a heritage battleship and slipped over on some oil or something. Yeah. And they're fucking suing the US Navy. That's yeah. who Trump's cabinet is made up of. And he fits perfectly, but he has this weird love-hate relationship with himself mm. in fitting into that category mm. because he is super well, uh, we've mentioned it, he's super wealthy. Mm. But he still doesn't think of himself as that. He can never let that let that past go mm. where everybody looks down on him because he's a wrestling promoter. And he tries to set up like, yeah, the a new football league. Or he tries to be a movie producer. There are fascinating stories of him oh, turning up to... It's the Rock's first film. It was the... Uh, I'm thinking specifically the Rock's first film, but apparently he did it on other um, film sets as well. Yeah. If his wrestlers, who are under contract to him, and uh, have some time off to go and film a film, The Rock being the most obvious example, I imagine he did it with Cena early on in his re- in his uh, movie career. Mm. Um, he definitely did it with Hulk Hogan's movie mm. career. Turning up on set and demanding like a percentage. Mm. When the wrestlers, despite they, had, they do have a contract with Vince, an yeah. independent contract... <laughs> But they, he has no claim on them for anything outside that. If they no. got wrestling work, yeah. it's be, if they got film work, it's because they got an agent and they got them a gig. Yeah, I just love the like turning up to a film set, being the sleaziest man there. And I say that with knowing full well all the stuff that's been coming out and knowing already knowing how bad all of that is. But Vince McMahon is—you can guarantee—he is the sleaziest, sketchiest man in every room he's in except when he's in the room with Trump <laughs> yeah so I don't think he's as much of a liar as Trump mm. I think he's, um, he's he mythologises his past but he doesn't yeah. actively lie yeah I think yeah I think he he certainly like Vince didn't fight in Vietnam how could he no no because he, he dishonorably discharged was he from the um... Um, no he actually graduated but he was only in college yeah and I think he probably missed it because I don't think he started working for his dad until like the mid 70s and by then Vietnam was mm. kind of done because he's super into soldiers because um, he does his thing ah. he does his trip to um, his, they do like essentially USO shows that is fucking skin deep though because they oh, yeah. never used to fucking do that no I will say one thing for him the he has that same thing that Trump seems to have tapped into, which is a perfect sense of what's appealing to not the working class of America, not the very poor, mm. because he thinks he's targeting the poor mm. when he does like his very crass um, wrestling storylines. He thinks he's targeting the poor. He's actually targeting the petty bourgeoisie. Yeah, he's, att- he's attracting plumbers. And he, yeah, and he's perfect for that. That same thing that Trump has. Mm. That um, attachment to the US military. He was always kind of he always put forward those like patriotic storylines, but mm. never had that attachment to like the U.S. military until nine eleven. Because mm. I was watching it quite Lex a lot Lu- until Lex Luger, Lex Luger body slamming a Japanese man on top of a battleship for the Fourth of July. <laughs> that was pretty overt. With Gorilla Monsoon saying, "Oh, Pearl Harbor him," <laughs> um, but it never had that. That kind of institutional tie is what I'm saying. Yeah. Because in the, Normally the, it would just be knee-jerk reactionary racism. Because you've got to remember, like... sketchy Japanese guy. As far as... <laughs> as far as, like, mass mobilisation yeah. in, in culture is concerned, the US military were, were reasonably... They were very, very involved behind the scenes. Think, uh, films like um, The Rock and mm. things like that and Independence Day always made sure to um, portray the military in a really good light. Mm. But that was mostly the Department of Defence behind the scenes. There are documents there mm. are documents about the department of defense offering mm. help and funding to yeah. films that portrayed the military in it yeah. like, that's not a conspiracy theory um but it never had that kind of over um militarization of everything of really shoving it in your face i don't mm. think um in a lot of different aspects until john cena until 2001 <laughs> you know yeah that kind yeah, of thing and, um, oh, but the thing is it wasn't as it it's crass if it wasn't isn't it it's so it's obvious like the best it is literally the best way of hearing that. There's how America. It was the first person to break the news about Osama bin Laden 
dying. To most people in American media, the first person to break that news was John Cena. Standing on top of the announce table. It was like five minutes after Raw ended or something. Yeah. And like... he's standing on top of the table. He's like, uh, Osama Bin Laden has been fatally compromised, compromised fatal. to the extreme degree or something like that to avoid... because. It's PG programming, so yeah. they can't say he's been killed. He's been killed and dumped at sea. Which, if we're at some point, alien psychologists are going to be going through all of our media <laughs> and examining the American psyche circa 2010. Mm. Fucking hell. Because um, he's also... The man's had a lot of affairs, hasn't he? He's like he's... Rumoured to have had a lot of affairs, because it was in the days when like he was properly... Like again, allegedly doing the cocaine and doing the steroids, and you know, allegedly, seventy-year-old man on the front of Muscle and Fitness, bigger than any human that I've ever seen, allegedly does steroids. I'm gonna say allegedly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Does it count? As you I don't know our liability if, here. Does it count as you taking them if you sit in a hot tub every day, literally full of anabolic steroids? He <laughs> <laughs> didn't technically inject them. He just sits there simmering in a pot of them. He used to have them delivered directly to his office. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, um, yeah, the treatment of women... Because, like, when was Fabulous Moolah? Because they recently had with Mania that's coming up tomorrow. With Mania coming up tomorrow, they have a, a, a women a first time a women's battle royale where yes. lots of women will be shoved into a ring, mainly nameless women, and they'll all be throwing each other off the side until there's one in the middle and they'll be crowned the winner. Mm. And it was going to be called the Fabulous Moolah Memorial Battle Royale. The problem with that yeah. is Fabulous Moolah is mainly famous for being a madam. Yeah. <laughs> being a brutal, forcing women into, like, force, like selling female wrestlers. Um, yeah, making them do favours for various promoters' business partners. Um, yeah, offering the, the women out and basically ruling the... I mean, it kind of seemed weird to put it in contrast with like ruling the women's wrestling in the US with an iron fist, because mm. it really doesn't matter in comparison to the forcibly pimping out uh, yeah. women wrestlers. But yeah, yeah, they had to strip her name from the. It was now just the women's Invitational Battle Royale or or whatever. Yeah, it's very odd thing. But yeah, yeah. He... Um, she was she was more Vince Senior's um, yeah. kind of era. Yeah, um, she is. She was super old. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just like I remember now. Like we watched the Achidura, and I'm surprised that that didn't infect me and turn me into one of those people who post on like incel and things like that. Because the treatment of women in wrestling, horrific, genuinely monstrous. Yeah, and Vince McMahon front and center with that. Mm. And there's something like. When you're in charge of the show yeah. and you're making your staff strip in front of you and bark like a dog in the middle of a ring surrounded by loads of people. It was a weird kind of thing. At the point where he kind he was he became an on screen character and became the evil boss. Mm. Um and somewhere along the line he started like getting the hottest women to be like his like in in storyline, he would be cheating on his wife mm. with these like the hottest women in in the division mm. or whatever. And there's a moment of like, are you still playing a villain or are you just doing this for you? Is this just a you moment? Yeah, he's got, you know, he's that it's that weird thing. If he doesn't actually know what's okay, what's cool? They like I sent it to um, our friends this week. Um, that clip of him at Raw not long ago. Mm. Where he does, the, he's um, the two, I can't remember the name of the, the Funkadactyls. Oh yeah, the two Funkadactyls, yeah, yeah. Naomi and Cameron. Yeah, and they're two black girls and they want to have a match and he's like, no, 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 no that's nothing to do with me. And it's like, oh, we thought you were cool. And I think they twerk at him, which he would have told them to do that. And then he says, it's like, somebody call your mama. And then he just starts dancing. <laughs> and it's like, there's a really great, Autobiography, I think it's JR's autobiography. Yeah. Where he talks about his first time with Vince McMahon, where he very loudly proclaims how he's a pretty good dancer for a white guy while driving his car way too fast, really badly, listening to ACDC blaring out of it. And it's just that just everything he needs. It's like that Playboy cigar aficionado and muscle and fitness. 
You've got like a a Gordon Gecko character as like a go 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 eighties kind of guy. Like Vince McMahon is that in the flesh. He's yeah. he's actually there's apparently a biopic of Vince McMahon in the works. Um, it and be good until he's I dead. so want to see it because like if you could get a proper thing like No Holds Barred like a uh, biopic Not of Vince McMahon. And even then, when he's dead, they'll be too busy protecting his memory. Yeah. In the same way that they kind of try and protect Ultimate Warrior's memory. <laughs> but that's the thing of Vincent Mann as well. That he did, he's repeated, well, allegedly, repeatedly tried to have an incest story along with his daughter. Yeah, so there's a story about that. I've got this here. Yeah. They wanted to do a whole thing with Stephanie McMahon, who's his daughter, uh, on, on camera personality as well. Yep. Um, they wanted to do a whole thing with Stephanie where she was pregnant. Namely, they would do a, th- uh, a storyline of Who's the Father? Vince wanted it to be him. Yep. Uh, this was something he wanted on primetime TV <laughs> in the late 90s, early 2000s. <laughs> Stephanie said, unsurprisingly, what the fuck are you thinking? Vince decided to change it to Shane. Her brother <laughs> being the father. Stephanie and Shane both said, no, what the fuck are you thinking? <laughs> and Vince was apparently very upset that he could not get his real-life children to enact incest <laughs> on primetime American television. Oh. He's one of those people who I can imagine just wouldn't understand. Yeah. Like, he's talked about... There is another um, a quote here uh, when he did his interview with uh, Playboy. Um, so the interviewer said, When you step aside, will you write a death scene for your alter ego, the evil Mr. McMahon? And he says, a death scene? No, that wouldn't be reality. Unless, you know what? I believe in the laws of nature. When it's time for me to go, I would like to be devoured by the biggest, baddest carnivore that ever walked to the face of the earth. And then I'd like that son of a bitch to get indigestion and vomit up my remains back up. Um, Playboy, (laughs) the interviewer says, oh, a romantic finish. And he goes, yeah. You know what you'd get. And McMahon interrupts him and says, great ratings. (laughs) He's... There is something so disgusting and yet so admirable about his single-minded vision of I do not care all human morality, every taboo, I will not rest until I get everybody watching my shit. Yeah. Oh. There's um there's the the thing about when he's um when they were talking he was talking to somebody I can't remember the exact um interview but he's talking to somebody um somebody said oh did you watch um like the Richard Pryor special yeah. last night, or uh, did you watch that documentary mm-hmm. on Richard Pryor or some comedian? And uh, he goes, "Oh no, um, I only you know he only watches his own programming." Yeah. Um, why would I watch Richard? Pryor? I think his exact quote was, "Why would I watch Richard Pryor? We have Santino." <laughs> and it's amazing the like the audacity. <laughs> yeah, there's there's still that thing of you can still tell now when there's very much a Vince storyline has come through. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, they've had some really horrible, like horrible stick. Like the one, it's weirdly, the ones that stick in my head are either the ones yeah. that are extremely racist or the ones that are extremely misogynistic. Mm. There was like the one with the mis, there's like the miscarriage storylines. Um, there's the one with his daughter and how she, um, and the story of how she married her actual real life husband, Triple H, of Triple H drugged her. Yeah. And then raped her. And that's played for laughs. Yeah. Well, because she's getting married to the love of her life test. Yep. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. And then Triple H came out to his music and then played the video of them of him taking this drugged up Stephanie McMahon to a drive through wedding chapel. And sometimes there's a camcorder in the other seat of like his his like uh his buddy. Yeah. Like camcorder videoing yeah. him going through this like, drive through wedding chapel. And it's like what's it um I know the question you're going to ask. It's not, um, did you consummate the marriage? But how many times? And then it's like, what the fuck am I watching? Because they're meant to be cool guy heels. Yeah, and rapists. He, yeah, because he doesn't. He doesn't see a. He doesn't see a problem with that because he'll use the excuse that it's um, it's artifice. It's not real, but it's like it. It betrays everything about. That company and all of its output over the last twenty years just betrays so much about him. Mm. It's you know he does like I bet you he's one of those he's that kind of man who would be genuinely terrified of a of a psychologist. Mm. But luckily, he doesn't need to go through therapy because he's been putting out nearly like ten hours of his brain <laughs> onto TV for like well, thirty years. Yeah. yeah. So we know exactly what he is. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's going to be delightful when he dies being eaten by the largest carnivore, Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Literally eaten by him. Well, he wouldn't, and also he wouldn't be able to stomach him because of his um, diverticulitis. <laughs> He's got like half an intestine. He does. Oh, yeah. It's um needs more intestinal fortitude. Yeah, it's all of his weird little things. He's obsessed with testicles. He yeah, but interesting thing. I was thinking about this the other day, and when he was um, I was reading through some of his uh, interview interview stuff, um, and he's got this weird kind of tick where. He has this really word salad verbiage when it comes to using words like simple, straightforward, like like the, using the Anglo-Saxon, hmm. like saying bollocks. Hmm. Um, he'll he'll use like testicles or he'll use testicular fortitude. He'll make, make up words to to sound smarter. You can hear it when in the old days when he's commenting. Hmm. Um, he can't. He can't. And I mean, I know, I should know, we can smell our own. But he uses too many long words that he doesn't know the meaning of. Mm. And it comes out completely mangled. He was a terrible commentator. Oh, gotcha. He was awful. Mm. He refuses to call the, the moves. Like, oh, look at what a manoeuvre. He thinks that communicating via kind of like force, of, force and volume of your voice <laughs> is what demonstrates feeling. <laughs> it's really odd. Round it off with some uh, some fascinating stories. So, uh, Vince McMahon hates sneezing. Yeah, he does. When someone sneezes, he yells at them and tells them to control themselves. On the rare occasion Vince sneezes, he angrily mutters to himself and loses focus for a few minutes. Cusses himself out for sneezing because I should be able to control this. Yeah, these these might not be true, but they're probably true. Um, these are all yeah. These are mostly collected from either stories people have heard or uh, people who he's worked with who've uh, who've <laughs> related anecdotes. Um, Vince once raced former WWE writer Court Bayer on an open highway Vince boxed, in, boxed him in so that Court was heading straight for road construction He had to slam on the brakes to avoid an accident Vince sped off having won the race by almost killing somebody <laughs> <laughs> um, Vince went bowling with someone um, it might have been a TV executive. The guy had done something, something Vince didn't like. Obviously, since they were bowling, they were wearing bowling shoes. Vince sneaked off, got the guy's real shoes from behind the counter, tossed the shoes in the garbage, and left. <laughs> the guy had no idea where his shoes were and had to go home wearing the bowling shoes. He later contacted him and said, that's what you get, pal. <laughs> um, as a prank, he had police arrest Jonathan Coachman, who was a, a common, on-screen commentator for a while, for... Yeah. Uh, Huh? I know he's with ESPN. I think. No, he. Huh. he Interesting story. Like side note, Jonathan Coachman came back oh. and started commentating, and then got me tooed. Huh? Well, uh, I believe for stuff he had done while he was at ESPN, so he is no longer. I don't think he's on their programming at the moment because he's uh, taking gardening leave or whatever. Um, he had real police arrest Jonathan Coachman for running a betting pool at work. He said that when the cop car finally turned round and brought him back to WWE HQ, he openly wept in relief and rage. (laughs) (laughs) While Vince McMahon laughed so hard, he pissed himself, probably. Former 90210 writer Larry Mullen joined the creative team. They were in a meeting with Vince. Vince was talking and Larry was nodding. Stephanie pulled Larry out of the room. She told him, you need to stop nodding. Vince hates nodding. She explained that if there's one thing Vince hates, it's yes men. This is extra hilarious because everyone has always said that Vince is surrounded by yes yes men. (laughs) They just need to be more subtle about it. Mark Henry... Uh, Olympic weightlifter, sexual chocolate. Uh, yep, gold, uh, gold medal. Uh, no, he didn't win a gold medal, but he held. The, he held the. Oh, he a, he, he did. Com- he did compete at the Olympics, but he also held the world championship for weightlifting for mm. like deadlifting for years. Mm. Very very strong man. Mm. Um, apparently, Vince invited Mark Henry to a workout session. Um, <laughs> so stupidly. Crazy. He tried to outrep him on every exercise. <laughs> Mark Henry went along with it because he's naturally competitive and even admitted that Vince tested him a little bit. The next day, Vince phoned Mark Henry in great pain and admitted he had made a terrible mistake. And Mark Henry says he actually quit before Vince did. <laughs> um, Vince McMahon was hesitant to hire Gail Kim due to her being Asian. 
Jim Ross convinced him that not only uh, convinced him to hire her not only because of her in-ring talent, but the fact that many men are attracted to Asian women, and in fact there are lots of Asian porn sites on the internet. This apparently shocked Vince McMahon, who had no idea Asian porn sites existed. <laughs> convinced that the only porn sites are like Desh Sturmer's Read of Wives. <laughs> um, ah, yeah. Speaking of uh, Vince pissing himself. Okay. Um, this was another story from Jim Ross. Jim Ross once farted in a car with Gerald Briscoe, which made Gerald Briscoe start gagging and throwing up. Vince heard about that, so backstage at Raw one night, he tried to fart and make Gerard, Gerard, Gerald Gerald Briscoe puke. To try to beat him, beat JR at farting, because he's so competitive. He tried to fart and make Gerald Briscoe puke. It backfired, Vince shit in his pants, <laughs> and then had to go out and do a promo. All the production people were in... Uh, JR said that all the production people in his headphones told him about it and that they were instructed to keep the camera shots above Vince's waistline for the entire promo. While he's standing in a room full of people watching shit fall out of his trousers. There, I think there are a few screenshots of it out there of his the back of his trousers covered in shit. <laughs> Human feces on well, prime time. T- I cannot emphasize this enough. You know, that's not... It's not even close to the only time there's been shit on TV in WWE, though, because I know... Um, CM Punk talked about it in an interview. There's an episode of SmackDown where he shit himself. Oh, yeah, because he was on a load of painkillers, wasn't he? Um, no, he was on a load of antibiotics. Oh, he just yeah, sorry, had massive yeah. diarrhea in the <laughs> ring. Um, there's a quote from Vince about uh, eating. Um, I look at eating as fuel. I'm not that conscious of the protein I eat, but I know it's a lot. I think cheat meals are very important, so I do it about once a week. When you cheat, go for it. It's important from a psychological standpoint. Oreos are my favourite cookie. I'll eat an entire box. And my philosophy is that the body can assimilate only so much in a given time. If you have two or three Oreos every day, not good. But if you eat an entire package of Oreos at one time, it's okay. It just passes through. I'll eat pasta loaded up with meat sauce, pizza, all the carbs you stay away from normally, load them up. I will gorge. It's almost like I will force feed myself on a cheat meal. And afterwards I think, oh my God, I don't want to feel like this. So it gets me back into the frame of mind immediately after the digestive process to do the right thing. He's a fucking 19th century, like one of those 19th century health guys who thinks like wearing white suits give you superpowers. (laughs) If he was born, if he was born a hundred years before, Hmm. he would have a bunch of towns named after him that used to be religious cults. (laughs) Totally. And he would, he would be blue from the colloidal silver. <laughs> yeah, he would have a, dis- a very discredited pseudoscience book that is somehow held up now as like, dis- undis- like discovered wisdom. <laughs> um, um, another quote from him from uh, the book Sex, Lies and Headlocks. You can put a mountain of this stuff in front of me and I'll never get addicted, referencing snorting coke off his desk. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, like, yeah, his, uh, his idea of how to make movies. Yeah. Uh, if you've never seen um, uh, No Holds Barred, the film he wrote, co-wrote with Hulk Hogan over a weekend on cocaine <laughs> in a hotel. So apparently he no got Holds a... No Barred, is that the one with... That's the one with um, Tiny Lister. Is uh, it, is it... Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. He rewrote yeah. it. Apparently he got a script and rewrote it. It didn't like it. Rewrote it over a weekend with Hulk Hogan in a hotel room. <laughs> on coke <laughs> Fanta it's it's marvellous to watch actually it's got Peter Dinklage in it in a in a uh, background role very weird like yeah. one of his first roles yeah I'm not watching that whole part <laughs> we are watching it after this <laughs> um, so the WWE was putting together a horror movie starring Kane called See No Evil Yep. Vince said he had this great idea for the film and proceeded to pitch it to the writers and the director. His idea that there would be a moment in the movie where Kane's pants would rip and his four <laughs> foot long veiny monster penis would flop, out, <laughs> would flop out and hit the floor. Fantastic. <laughs> oh my... So, a man with the exact level of taste and refinement as when he got kicked out of military academy he has been perpetually 15 years old yeah. for the entirety of his life and that and he's a billionaire and that is fascinating that is really bizarre there was a quote I came across when I was like doing research for this um, from somebody from uh, the New York Daily Mirror 1956 there's more intrigue connected with professional wrestling than anything else except communism and television <laughs> Which are the other two pillars of this podcast, so (laughs) fucking right. (laughs) Expect this to become all about wrestling from now on. (laughs) Sorry, folks. 
so yeah, we're, we're coming up to the G1 now, so soon we'll be doing, I'll be doing Thrice Weekly Podcasts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Once a morning, every morning, your daily update. Oh, to start doing bonus episodes about what the young lions are up to. <laughs> God, stop it. No. I love Japanese wrestling, but stop it. <laughs> cut that, cut that. That's silly. We're not going to start arguing about America versus Japanese wrestling. Not on it. It's not an argument. <laughs> no, st- yeah. You think you know me so well. You think that's going to... Right, yeah, so that's us. Yeah. That's, that's our us. bonus episode. That's the bonus episode for this week. Hopefully um, I'll get it out before Mania. So you can... Hopefully you lucky guys could listen to this before looking at his latest unedited... Well, that's the thing, because it doesn't get notes. Mm. It's like the worst Netflix show. <laughs> but it's seven, seven hours long with fireworks and bad music. I love it every fucking year. I don't care how bad it is. It's an event, man. It's oh. it it can be really fun, it can be really shit. But like there's one it. thing you know and you are going to be sitting there for a long time. I will be watching it again this year and I'm, like last year I'll probably be drifting in and out of consciousness being completely freaked out by what's going on. <laughs> But yeah, that's us for this week. Um, well, not for this week, for this bonus episode, I should mm. say. Yeah. That's us for this bonus episode. Yep. You can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Mm. You can follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamot and follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing on Twitter. Mm. All right. All right. Thanks, But fighting am the least about the fighting game when Miss